Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. Alcuin of York, at the very beginning of his Treatise on Virtues and Vices, which is addressed to Count Guy, in the first five chapters talks about wisdom and then what are traditionally called the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity, and then talks about zeal in reading, reading the scriptures. And this is very interesting and I think significative because he's talking to Count Guy, who he says is very busy with, you know, martial warlike activities. Guy is not a monk as Alcuin is, and Alcuin is centering him around these matters that are, you could say, theological and intellectual at the very beginning. Instead of saying, ah, be courageous, be just, which will come up later on, he's saying these are going to need to be discussed first. And so the very first thing that he begins with is, in fact, wisdom. And he says the first thing of all that should be sought by a person is what true, the Latin word there is vera. So it's not just any sort of pretended wisdom or knowledge, but true knowledge and true wisdom. Scientia and sapientia. So, you know, scientia, this is the word that we actually get science from. This means really knowing something. And then sapientia goes beyond just knowing and has to do with how we regulate our lives and all of that. And notice what he also does. He contrasts this to the wisdom of the world, which is foolishness before God. And he quotes Paul's letter to 1 Corinthians. So there's a contrast here that's being made between other rival claimants to wisdom. What is genuine wisdom and what is genuine knowledge? According to Alcuin, he tells us that true knowledge is to withdraw from the servitude of the devil. So it's arranged in this Christian narrative framework. And what is the servitude of the devil? It doesn't mean actually like saying, oh, Satan, I worship and serve you. It just means sinning, right? He says these are sins and perfect wisdom is to worship God according to the truth of his mandates in these two things, blessed life is acquired. And here he says something really interesting. So now we see that that wisdom and knowledge is already centered in a practical and not merely theoretical way. He tells us, invoking this passage from the Psalms, turn away from evil and do good. Both of these sides are important. It's not just enough to like turn away from evil, quit doing bad things. You got to actually do good things. You got to move over to the other side. And he also tells us that you don't suffice to do good things unless you also don't commit bad things, right? You move away from the bad. And, you know, if we look, look at ourselves carefully, I'm sure we can all find some bad things that we probably should move away from. So that's how he frames wisdom in a very practically oriented sense, which will connect later on with the four cardinal virtues when he talks about prudence or practical wisdom, prudentia. Then in the next three chapters, and a little bit out of order, we're going to take these on in the traditional faith, hope, and charity rather than in the order that Alcuin does them. Because for him, he talks about faith first, then he talks about charity, then he talks about hope. But 
Let's, let's look at them in the traditional order. So faith, right? What is faith? It's got a double sense here in this. He says, this knowledge of the Godhead and knowledge of the truth is to be learned through the Catholic faith, right? So what it is that Christianity mediated through the church teaches about it. So that's connecting faith to wisdom. But then he also talks about faith in the sense that we typically think about it, belief having a commitment to things. And he says, he is blessed who lives well by believing rightly and keeps the right faith by living well. Now, this is going to lead us into something that Christians very often disagree about, but was very important for early to to medieval Christians and continues to be important for a number of others. And you notice that he is going to invoke the letter from James, right? And James says, what would it profit my brothers if someone should say he has faith but does not do works? Will his faith be able to save him? Faith without works is dead. And so this is a very important conception of faith. Faith is integrally connected with doing something. And you see this running throughout many Christian authors, right? They pick up on this and they say, faith is useless without good works, but good works profit nothing without right faith. So there's a a dialectical or complementary relationship between what you believe and what you actually do. And, And in a way you could say, well, you can claim you believe something, but if you're not actually doing something that corresponds to it, you don't really believe in it or it's dead faith as they talk about it. He has a very interesting comparison here. Just as a body without spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. What's the actual correspondent there? Is it that faith is like the spirit of the works? The way that Alcuin has this set up, maybe not. Actually, maybe the faith is the body and the works are the spirit. And then he passes on very quickly to discuss charity. But let's talk about what he says about hope. So he tells us the excellent doctor of the Gentiles, that's Paul, set out three things necessary to our souls saying, Hope, faith, charity, these are three, but greatest from these is charity. And so he says, no one, however much he's forced to weigh the enormity of his sins, ought to despair about the goodness of divine piety, right? And this is where hope is going to come in. Hope is not just, well, I hope I get a sandwich when I get home, or I hope my sports team wins or something like that. Hope can also be this taking account of, oh man, I'm a miserable sinner, but I can hope in what? Divine mercy or compassion, misericordia, right? I can hope that I'm going to be judged not according to my merits, but according to mercy and made into a good person, right? And so he says, we ought to neither sin perseveringly because of hope of mercy, right? We shouldn't like do sins and say, well, God will take care of it. Nor, since God justly punishes sins, ought we despair of mercy, but turning with both dangers avoided, turn aside from bad and expect mercy from the piety of God. Similarly, in difficulties of tribulation, we should run with hope to the solace of supernal piety since all hope and salvation consists in him alone. So hope has a double sense for the Christian. Hope in divine mercy and hope that we'll make it through these tribulations to a greater good. What about charity? The section on charity is a bit longer and he has a lot of interesting things to say about this. He begins by saying, 
Charity obtains first place in the precepts of God. Precepts are commands, you know, do this, do that. Without charity's perfection, he says, nothing else can please God. So neither martyrdom nor contempt of the world nor largest of alms, giving a lot of people things without charity or without love is another way of translating caritas, right? And then he brings up the two great commandments. The Lord himself, asked by a scribe what was his greatest mandate, replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he said, the second is similar to this, love your neighbor as yourself. In these two mandates hang all the law and the prophets. So charity can be summed up in this love of God and love of neighbor. And Elkwin says something really interesting here about the love of God part. There's a great clarification. He says, when he says, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, what is this really translating into? He arranges this in terms of the human faculties, and he says that God is to be loved with all your intellect, intellectum, or understanding, your cognitive faculties, with all your will, voluntas, you know, this faculty of choosing, of committing ourselves, which allows us to work upon our own characters and, you know, eliminate vices, and from the whole memory. Memory. Why memory? Well, within the framework of medieval thought, memory is indeed quite important. You could say memory is what we carry around with us all the time. It's this great, to use the, the classic metaphor, thesaurus or storehouse or treasure house, right? So we're supposed to adopt those, right? But then what about the neighbor? And here he says something really quite striking. Now, remember that Alcuin is writing at a time when Christianity is not universal in Europe. As a matter of fact, he is part of the Carolingian Renaissance, meaning that Charlemagne is going to bring Alcuin to teach outside of York in, in uh, his capital. And Charlemagne is having campaigns not just against, you know, Muslims, but against pre-Christian pagans in Europe. And notice what Alcuin says about charity towards the neighbor. He doesn't say it means charity towards everybody. Everybody is your neighbor. What does he actually say here? Every Christian is rightly said to be his neighbor. Why? Because we're all sanctified in the baptism of the Son of God. So we're spiritually brothers in perfect charity. And you could say, well, that's very exclusionary. I mean, I think Alcuin is also saying, though, it's hard enough just to love your own fellow co-religionists with whom you have this in common. Try to do that first, right? And, and that is uh, quite an interesting matter to explore. Then he's going to talk about something else that I think figures in here very important and, and actually brings this together. Something very practical that has to do with how one orients one's life. In chapter five, he talks about zeal of reading, lectionis studio. Now this word zeal means something like enthusiasm, a commitment to do something over and over again, valuing, prioritizing something. So now reading what? Reading books, reading anything, you know, getting onto blog posts and reading those? No, sacred scripture. And why? Well, this, this ties in, again, with, you know, a lot of monastic attitudes and practices. So there's a number of things that Alcuin is going to say here that are really quite important. He says, a reading of the Holy Scriptures is the knowledge 
of divine blessedness. So if you want wisdom and you want to practice these virtues, you need to actually engage with Holy Scripture. And and why? A little bit later on, he says that the blind person offends more often than the seeing. The one not knowing the law of God sins ignorantly more often than the one who knows. Just as a blind person without a leader walks the right way with difficulty, so a person without a teacher. So the scriptures can be, in effect, a teacher. Why? Well, they do several things. One is they act as, he says, a kind of mirror, right? Speculum. It's in speculo. We can look at ourselves in the mirror. A person can consider themselves what he might be or to what he might aim, right? And then there's another factor that figures in with this. Reading purifies the soul, produces fear of hell, stimulates the heart of the reader to eternal joys. He wants to be with God always frequently want to pray and read. Why? When we pray, he says, we actually talk with God. And he uses these two terms, loquimur, right? We speak and loquitur, he speaks. How does that work? Well, when we pray, we are speaking with God. When we read, God is speaking with us through the intermediary of the scriptures. And there's this very complex guided way of reading the scriptures that the monastic authors will talk about elsewhere. And he's sort of assuming that. He says that the reading of the Holy Scriptures also confers a twin gift. What is the twin gift? Well, it ties in with our our mind, our intellect, and our heart or our will. It educates the understanding of the mind, intellectumentis, right? And it also leads a person to the love, amor in this case, but charity is what's going on there, of God abstracted from the vanities of the world. So through engaging in this process of scripture reading, we are placed into a deeper relation with the, could say the great thing, God, that all the scriptures are supposed to be centered upon. So these are some very interesting things to stress in these first five chapters of the On Virtues and Vices, writing not to fellow monks, but writing to a military man who is looking for some guidance. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.